You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Please welcome your next speaker, the wonderful Shannon Clinton Copeland. Hello. This is proper weird because I am um, a poet. I do like poetry performances and things, which is always fun. But you're always reading through like the patina of poetry, so you can tell like really deep, meaningful stories, and people go, "Oh." That poem was so good. And you're like, yeah, don't think about me. I'm not there. Um, this is the first time I'm reading anything that's like uh, not through that. So um, don't look at me. No. Um, and I'm not nearly as, as funny as Molly. So I'm really sorry in advance. Um, and I have written it down because otherwise I'll just chat shit for 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I took, I, I took more of the, the woman from the, the title of, of this evening, Seven Ages of Woman. Um, I'm going to be talking about having a facial deformity and being a woman and what, what that has meant for me and what, uh, what I've thought about that over the years, over the ages of, uh, of my life. Um, so yeah, I, I very nearly backed out of reading here tonight um, because this doesn't feel like a space for me. I feel like I'm encroaching in a place where I'm not wanted and where I don't belong. The women who look like me have always been witches bent, deformed, or with a veil of beauty hiding their true, hidden, horrible nature. They are something other than women, something masquerading in that sacred space. Womanhood, to me, has always been a club of beauty into which I had no access. Despite being born and identifying as female, I have never felt comfortable in girlhood and womanhood in any of the ages of woman. My female friends have always been beautiful, wide, bright eyes and cut cheekbones and even smiles. My face is a bit of a cliff dive, my eye like the strange pearl nestled in the mess of an oyster. I have feared contaminating with my oddness. In groups of my always gorgeous friends, I have been systematically ignored or rejected by men. Isn't this one of the defining characteristics of womanhood, how desired we are by the men around us? I wish it wasn't. I wished for all the years of my adolescence, for these first years of my adulthood, that it had not been the North Star of my sense of my own womanness. Last year, I went on a night out with my friends. We all got ready together, running between each other's rooms to give outfit opinions and share hair tools and slugs of gin. Oh, God. That night, when I came out of my room and my friends screamed and whipped and told me how good I looked, I felt beautiful. We were going to be meeting up with a guy I knew who they had all assured me was definitely interested in me. They had seen and screamed over the messages. Sure enough, he and his friend joined our group on the club and we, on the club dance floor, and we danced and drank and went and smoked in the smoking area again and again. He told me I looked good and I believed him. Whether it was the praise or the alcohol, a mix of both, I didn't feel the need to hide away like I usually did, like the hunchback of Notre Dame sort of weird sister. I wasn't afraid of people recoiling from my strangeness. When I ended, the lights came up, and we all poured outside with the rest. In the dark, he pulled me aside and said he had something to tell me. I was drunk, I was so drunk, giddy. And I went along and I smiled at him, and he smiled at me, 
And he said, and I quote, would you mind if I got with your friend? That friend, she's beautiful. She doesn't look like me. And in that moment, I hated her. I hated that I was the vessel through which men accessed her, that I was a train stop on the way to the real destination. But I also hated the overwhelming realization that the lens of my selfhood, the lens through which I perceived my own womanness, was the eyes of men. Once I realized it, I couldn't unrealize it. I found myself noticing every time I made to turn to my right side to men I thought were attractive, how I turned this way and that in the mirror to get a sense of just how asymmetrical I might look. Sometimes I would be buoyed by the thought that I didn't look that different, did I? If I was to put it into numbers, it's only really about a 30% facial corruption, right? And then I would see a photograph of myself. My features laid bare, really bare, because I looked at them and thought that it looked like someone or something had torn me open in a way that was grotesque and unsightly. I've had a lot of surgery. It's really fun telling people you've had plastic surgery and they do not know how to respond. <laughs> when I was younger, I thought my surgeons would eventually be able to make me look like everyone else. In 2012, I had the biggest one. Part of the reason my parents moved back to England from Ireland, where I was raised, where I'd grown up, was because the Irish Health Service no longer wants to pay the cost of these surgeries. My parents made great sacrifices to support my quest to look normal. Everything had led up to this. The, the plan was to move up my eye socket, to touch up the reconstruction of my nose, to close the shape of my eye in that long sought after almond. But I remember looking at myself in the mirror a few weeks before and feeling for the first time in my life, the fear of not not looking like everybody else, but of not looking like me. To quote the great Lady Gaga, I was born this way. <laughs> I've always looked like this. I've always looked different. Nothing happened to me, like people often assume. My arm was simply in the way of my face's growth a long, long time ago in a womb far, far away. And I was afraid for the first time of not looking like me. And I forgot that fear pretty quickly, um, galvanized by the surgery and my pursuit of looking like everyone else. Of course, though, surgery is great, but it's not magic. The surgeons are not witches. And this is about as close as I'm going to get to looking normal. And after a, for a long time afterwards, that realization destroyed me, bit by bit. With every snide comment that a man made, because interestingly, I can't ever remember a woman making snide comments, at least not to my face, a part of me died. As a child, a school bully pushed my face into a bowl of hot soup. Walking to secondary school one morning, a boy yelled something I can't even remember the specifics of across the road about my face. A boy in the bus, who thought I couldn't hear him because I had my headphones in, tapped his friend, pointed at me and said, what the fuck's wrong with her face? I developed a fear of people seeing me, of really seeing me. A part of me remains convinced to this day that if my closest friends were to get a proper, really good look at me, that they'd realize just how repulsive I really am. Like I said, the women who look like me have always been witches. Evil, grotesque, hiding behind a false veil of beauties to seduce unwitting men. Snow White's evil queen, Maleficent, Mother Gothel, Ursula, L. Disney, the entire cast of the film The Witches, Yennefer from The Witcher, the deformed and conniving witches from the Hansel and Gretel films. I excluded myself from everything that felt feminine. I feared sharing makeup with my friends. In hindsight, it should have been because I didn't want an eye infection from sharing mascara, but it was really because I feared contaminating them, of sharing something terrible 
under my skin and really of devaluing them in the eyes of the men that they coveted. The way I was reminded of my lack of value again and again every time a man lent close to me in a club to ask for my friend's phone number. Or when that same guy who tried to get with my friend asked me if I was just friends with him because he thought, I thought he was going to ask me out and then proceeded to explain that that was never going to happen. And then the next time he met, told me in detail about the girl that he was now sleeping with. It's not that I expected him to find me attractive. If anything, I was surprised he wanted to be friends with me at all. We are all probably familiar with the patriarchal narrative that dating or even being friends with an unattractive woman automatically reduces their own social capital. But there was a different kind of reduction happening that I've only just begun to come to terms with. I've systematically, consistently reduced my best female friends to nothing more than their physical appearances. I've concentrated on envying them, not seeing them as beautiful or intelligent or celebrating their kindness. I've spent all the ages, stages of my life up until now obsessing over what men saw when they looked at me, when they looked at my friends. I have denied my own femininity because I reduced that box of femininity to nothing more than a shallow form of beauty. I thought I was apathetic about my own appearance. I didn't actually care about wearing makeup or whether my eyebrows were tweezed, but actually I was, and in many ways still am, obsessed with the way I looked. I just didn't think I deserved those spoils of beauty. The trauma of growing up like this, of being a deformed woman in a world in which being a beautiful woman is the most coveted form of currency is still with me. It infects everything from where I sit at a table to my decision to stop drinking and the relationships that I have with my friends. I hold myself back from almost everything. I fear the opinions of men. I fear one more rejection of fracturing something in me that cannot be repaired. But I'm also grateful in a strange way that I still cannot quite reckon with. In this age of my life, in my adulthood, I'm finally beginning to see myself through my own uneven eyes. To care about how I look for me, to not be embarrassed about feeling feminine for the fear that men or other women would cut me down and throw me back into the dungeon of otherness where you can be nothing but strange. I want to finish with a fairy tale. The Banshee is the fairy woman of Ireland. Throughout history, she is keened at the windows of those about to die to warn the family that death is among them. I first heard of her when I was eight, when I was a child still living in Ireland and our fairy tales were close and real. I would lie awake in bed, terrified to hear her wail. But now, when I think of the word woman, I think of her, that woman of the wood, that woman which is something other. That woman who is powerful in a way that fascinates and terrifies, who is loud in her command and in her grief. That woman who really is a witch and still a woman. Thank you. Shannon Clinton Copeland! True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.